Take your Bible and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 this evening. 2 Timothy chapter 3. As you're turning, we got quite a bit of intro tonight just to uh, set the groundwork for where we'll be uh, looking the next few weeks. But uh, 2 Timothy 3, we'll read some verses in, in here in just a little bit. But we live in a day where many don't know what they believe or why they believe it. And I don't want us to be people who believe something just because it's what we were told to believe, but people who know what to believe because we know where to look for what to believe and why it's right to look there. And as a result, we will not only know what to believe, we'll know why we believe it. We live in an era of ecumenicalism. That's a really big word that means the concept and principle that Christians and denominations that have different beliefs should work together to develop closer relationships among their churches to promote unity. That is the thought in our day. Well, can't we all just get along? Can't we all just work together? Well, it's a little difficult to do that when you believe, not you, but when you know, when this other group over here believes that the water in the baptismal is what saves you, and when I believe it's the blood of Jesus Christ that saves you. I'm sorry, but we cannot stand and share uh, the gospel the same way because we view it in different ways. But this, this again, uh, era of ecumenicalism is, is swept through, it seems, our world. And this causes the abandonment of many core doctrines for the sake of agreement among those of differing views. You see how that works. If, if this one over here believes in baptismal regeneration, which isn't biblical, and we believe it's the blood of Christ that washes away sin, well, for us to come together and work together, we're going to have to stop talking about what cleanses from sin. And so there's going to be some things cast aside along the way. And all that does is further weaken the body of faith. But remember the words of Amos chapter 3 and verse 3, Can two walk together except they be agreed? Yet still in our day, many see no need or benefit of specifying doctrine or using denominational names. Some say that those names are a hindrance to reaching people with the gospel. In fact, many churches are dropping their label in in favor of some vague, nonspecific moniker such as the bridge or the journey or the village and and you know and they're they're popping up everywhere and they've been around for quite some time. But might I say to you tonight, with without apology, I like labels. You know why? They let me know what I expect to find on the inside. Think of it this way. The next time you're in the grocery store, in fact, go just for this exercise. Just You say, I don't go to the grocery store. Well, tomorrow you put it on your list of things to do, and you go to the grocery store, and you get in the middle of one of those aisles, and just imagine that every single canned good in that store has no label. Just the same silver can everywhere. 
How are you going to know whether you're buying apple pie filling or Alpo? <laughs> oh, it's all the same. No, no, it's not. It's all food. Which one would you rather eat? Hey, if you're satisfied to possess the contents on the inside, why are you scared to put the label on the outside? This goes for churches too. The the word Baptist on our sign lets others know what they can expect to see on the inside. And unfortunately, the name Baptist has lost much of its distinctiveness because groups of all sorts use it. Even those who no longer subscribe to the historical theological viewpoint that first distinguished the Baptist. Now, before you get nervous tonight, my utmost goal is for you and for me to be biblical. That's my utmost goal. And what we will see... I have to stop for a minute. I, sometimes the comments come up and they catch me off guard. <laughs> and that one did. Uh, so, and I'm just going to say it because I can. Uh, Rob just, uh, he's watching online and he just texted, I'll have some hot alpo pie. <laughs> All right. All right. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. What, what we're going to see from the, from the Word of God in these coming weeks is that we aren't biblical because we're Baptist, but we're Baptist because we're biblical. In other words, and here's the series title, Biblically Distinct. That's what we need to be in this day. It's biblically distinct. But I, I have no... No uh, desire, no plans, no urge at all to remove the name Baptist when I describe myself. I am happy uh, to be a Baptist. I'm glad I'm a Baptist. And uh, what's that one guy said? I'm Baptist born and Baptist bred. And when I'm gone, I'll be Baptist dead. So we're going to examine the biblical distinctives that Baptists have historically affirmed the things that distinguish Baptists from other groups. And to make it easier for us, we'll be looking at what many of you know as the Baptist acrostic. Each letter of that word, Baptist, represents a biblically distinct theological position that makes us who we are. And I'll just give them to you quickly, and we'll look at these uh, in, in future weeks here. But the letter B... And some of you will uh, remember, uh, oh, I don't know, it's been six or so years ago uh, that we looked at this in, in a little uh, quickly in our Sunday school uh, time. And so you'll pipe up here in just a minute. So the letter B, uh, the Bible is the sole authority for faith and practice. That's what we're going to look at tonight. The letter A uh, deals with the autonomy of the local church. We are independent. The letter P uh, is pancakes. Thank you. Somebody remembered. The letter P is the priesthood of the believer. The letter T, there are two church ordinances. They are baptism and the Lord's Supper. The letter I is individual soul liberty. And that's a very vital doctrine that I'm afraid gets overlooked 
quite often. The letter S, saved and baptized church membership. If you're going to uh, link up with uh, this church family, then you have to be saved. You have to have a testimony of salvation and you have to be baptized by immersion in a in either this church or a like faith church. The letter T, there are two church offices, pastor and deacon. And the letter S, the separation of church and state. This world has it completely backwards what the separation of church and state means. And we're going to look at it from the Bible point of view and see, uh, again, what we believe and why we believe it. Now, these eight things have historically distinguished Baptists from other groups. However, this does not suggest that Baptists are the only ones who subscribe to these principles. Because you'll find there are other groups and other believers who will affirm some or most of the ideas that we'll look at. But Baptists and like faith groups uh, that may or may not use the name are the only groups who affirm all of these distinctives together. When I was a teenager, we went to a church in central New York. It had the name Berean Bible Church. That was the name uh, that they just chose uh, as they as that church was established in someone's home and then it grew uh, into a larger work and Berean Bible Church was. But they were unapologetically Baptist in every single bit of their doctrine. But, you know, so their, their church name said something a, a little different, but they still held to the right doctrine. Another point that I must make just because a group labels themselves as Baptist doesn't automatically mean that they are. Another example, really quick. My wife and I, and our, when our kids were really small, we were living in central New York, uh, where I worked at the time. Uh, we were looking for a church, so we found the one that was right there in town. Was that First Baptist? Okay, it was First Baptist Church, and, and so we were like, well, let's try it out. I have never been in a Baptist church that was as Catholic as that one. It was it was shocking uh, to see. So just because you you know you go to the grocery store and sometimes you find things are mislabeled too. You have to be careful. You you buy your apple pie filling. That's what it says on the outside, and you get home and it's dog food on the inside. But you got to watch out for that too. The doctrinal principles must be held in practice, not just in proclamation. It's not enough just to say it, but you actually have to do it. And so that's a bit of a lengthy introduction, but it'll let you know where where we will be headed here in these next weeks. It's necessary to get us in the right mindset, and we'll start now our biblically distinct study with part one tonight, the letter B, biblical authority. So 2 Timothy chapter number 3. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Look with me at verse 10. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. The Bible says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, 
persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Verse 13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture, all, that word, A-L-L, all, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So tonight we're going to talk about this matter of biblical authority. Father, I pray that you'll help us this evening, Lord, that we would be uh, in line with your word more uh, than we're worried about uh, what we would call ourselves or or uh, uh, the things that we would do. I pray that you'll help us to see uh, your truth from your word tonight. Guide our hearts and minds uh, now tonight and in our study in weeks to come. Lord, I pray that it would strengthen our faith, that it would solidify our stand, and help us to be steadfast to the finish. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you have done and all that you will do. Thank you again for these that are here tonight. And we pray for the ones who aren't. And Lord, if there is one here tonight without Christ, I do pray that they'd trust you for salvation this evening. Lord, what a blessing that it is to be saved. We don't deserve it. But boy, what a thrill that it is to know that we're born again. And thank you for your love and for your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the primary distinctions that sets... Baptists apart from other groups, especially now from Catholicism, Mormonism, and Jehovah's Witness, to name a few, is our belief that the Bible alone is the sole rule for faith and practice. Not any extra biblical books or creeds. I I didn't need uh, to know that somebody got tablets from the angel Moroni on some hill and that 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 was the third testament you know word of God for for people in this state no 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 I have right here what I need for every aspect of my life it's right here God has given us what he wants us to have what we need to have and I don't need to look anywhere else let me give you the definition of true biblical authority Here it comes. Here's the the lengthy wording here. The Bible is the final authority in all matters of belief and practice because the Bible is inspired by God and bears the absolute authority of God Himself. Whatever the Bible affirms, we accept as true. No human opinion or decree can override or overrule the Bible. 
As such, creeds and confessions of faith which attempt to clarify the theology of Scriptures do not carry Scripture's inherent authority. Let me stop right there for a moment. There are many good study tools in in the world today that we have to help us uh, as we navigate through the Word of God. But the best commentary on the Word of God is the Word of God. Now, you can come in my office and you'll see I have some different commentaries for some different men, but uh, the best of men are men at best. They are not God. And, and so when you have a Bible and it has all sorts of different commentary notes and study notes and all of that, those notes aren't the inspired Word of God. It's the text of Scripture uh, now that holds the authority. I don't need to go to some confession of faith. I don't need to go uh, to this um, canon over here. I I can come to the 66 books of Thus Saith the Lord, and I can find what God wants me to have for my life. The Holy Scripture, the 66 books, the two testaments, is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2 and verse 13. It wouldn't be right for us to talk about biblical authority if we didn't give you a bunch of Bible verses. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. When ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. It's the word of God that we need for our lives. 2 Peter chapter number 1, verses 20 and 21. Now these are core verses uh, for this doctrine of biblical authority. 2 Peter chapter 1 Verses 20 and 21. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. You know what that means? What I got, you got. These guys stand up today. Guys, men and women stand up today. I got a fresh word from the Lord. Turn the channel. I don't need something fresh. I I need the, the same old Thus saith the Lord. I I need this. This is a timeless book. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Therefore, we believe in and live by the revelation, the inspiration, and the authority of Scripture. And those three things are what we're going to look at tonight. So consider them with me. Number one is revelation. Not the book of our Bible, but this matter of revelation. There are two types of revelation. You can take all uh, the revelation and you can lump it into two groups. The first is general revelation. By that we mean God reveals Himself in creation and the natural world. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 20, the Bible says this, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. That means that when we uh, go outside and look up in the sky at night and see all of the stars, when we look at the, uh, the, mm, the, the sky, when we look at the oceans, when we look at the trees, have you ever stopped to think about that? Trees, they drop their leaves every fall, and then in spring out comes the new buds again. 
But the last I checked, the trees don't have a brain. I, you know, and how, how does that work? Uh, you know, these people talk about, well, all of these lands are going to be flooded. But you know, if you go in the Word of God, what you'll find is God sets the bounds on the oceans. He sets the limits uh, to them. Everything is under His control because He is the Creator of it all. And as we look around, just in the creation itself testifies of the fact that there is an Almighty God who created. There's a bunch of people that struggle with that. And I'm sorry, I'm just, I don't have enough faith to believe that in the time of nothing, nothing bounced into nothing and everything came to be. I just don't have enough faith for that. But I do have enough faith for in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. I got enough faith for that. And I can see the evidence for that. God reveals Himself in creation in the natural world. Wait a minute. God also reveals Himself through His historical intervention. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. We have a book uh, that tells us uh, in times past, you know, even when the world said these things didn't happen, it's funny, the more archaeologists dig, the more they find evidence for what God said is true. We can, we can trust it. They're, oh, well, this never happened. And then a couple of years later, some guy digs up this tablet or this city or something. You know, oh, we never even knew this existed. Why not just trust what God said? But he has intervened throughout history. You say, well, when? Give me an example. Okay, well, how about the children of Israel standing up against the Red Sea? I believe it was God that intervened uh, on their behalf. And it, Moses wasn't out there going <laughs> for the sea to part. No, it was God that parted the sea. I, it's, it's simple for us to understand these things. God reveals Himself also in man's conscience. Romans chapter 1 and verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. So general revelation, we see it in creation, we see it in history, we see it in our own uh, being, which God has now uh, revealed Himself to us. The second is special revelation. So general revelation, this, this, is, this hits everybody. And, but now, let's talk about special. This is unique revelation. God revealed Himself through the person of Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 and verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. God revealed Himself through the person of Jesus Christ. God revealed Himself through the Scriptures. The phrases, the Word of the Lord, and thus saith the Lord, are found over 3,000 times in the Old Testament alone. John chapter 5 and verse 39, Jesus speaking. This is what Jesus says. Search the Scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of Me. This whole book is 
God revealing Himself to us. So number one here is revelation. There's general revelation. There's special revelation. Let's go to number two, which is inspiration. Inspiration. And so there are some words that I want you to have and I want you to be familiar with. The first word you're familiar with is verbal. When we talk about inspiration, we have to talk about verbal inspiration. And when we talk about verbal inspiration, every word of this book is inspired by God. Every word. And then we talk about another word that you need is plenary. Plenary inspiration, all of Scripture is involved. That's a, that's a fancy word for saying complete. So we believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of God. Not only was every word inspired, but all of Scripture, all of the words in all of Scripture is involved. 2 Timothy 3.16 again, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word inspiration, the Greek word there is theonoustos. And what that means is God breathed. It's as simple as that. And you know, when you speak, you breathe. And so uh, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. There are a couple other words you need. One of them is inerrant. We believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of God. We believe in the inerrancy of the Word of God. With Inerrant means without error and preserved. That's important. And then we another word you need is infallible. All Scripture is unfailing. I'll give you some verses here. Psalm 12 and verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. Any of you know how the process of silver purification works? So the, the smelter guy, he, he puts the, the metal in there and he heats it up and it, the metal melts and the impurities rise to the top. And he skims the impurities off the top and he heats it up again. And the impurities rise to the top and he skims them off the top and he continues doing that until he sees a perfect reflection of himself in that silver. So what God is saying is in here, in the Word of God, is a perfect picture of God Himself. Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, Thy Word is settled in heaven. Boy, I'm thankful for that. Do you know, I mean, are, are, you all are aware of the attacks against the Word of God, are, are you not? And we'll talk about some of those later on, um, and, and I'll mention it here in just a moment. But it's a good thing that God not only inspired His Word, but He preserves His Word as well. I, I find it, you know, I, I have a difficulty in believing that uh, God is powerful enough to inspire His Word, but not strong enough to preserve His Word. When the Bible says, is anything too hard for God and says, nothing is impossible with God, don't tell me that the Almighty God of heaven can't make a way that His Word would be preserved. Matthew 5.18, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. So here's, here's some statements for us. If God is all-powerful, He is. 
And if His Word is our sole source of truth, it is. And if the Bible is vital for our faith and practice, it is. Why then do we have such a hard time trusting the fact that God was not only able to divinely inspire His Word, but also divinely protect and preserve His Word for you and for me in the day in which we live? Many in our day, and you'll find this a prevalent thought in our day, many in our day say that only the originals were inerrant and infallible, while all of today's Bibles are filled with error. That's the devil's greatest lie. To pervert and pollute the Word of God. You know, this idea of only the originals are inspired, can can I I, uh, just shoot that down for you real quick? If you go to the book of Jeremiah, and I don't remember exactly the chapter, but Jeremiah gives, uh, he writes down what God tells him to write down, and Jeremiah gives it uh, to this fella, and the fella didn't like it, so he cut out the parts he didn't like, kind of like we do, and uh, cuts out the parts he didn't like, and he throws them in the fire. So what did God do? He come back to Jeremiah and he says, write it again. You know what that means? That was copied. Well, now all of a sudden it's not the original anymore. Are you, are you picking that up? But yet today they'll say, well, only the originals were inspired. Do you realize the Word of God was written over a time period of almost 2,000 years uh, across many continents? Over 40 men uh, were used to pen now the Word of God, and most of them didn't even know each other. They lived in different time for each other. And then somebody wants to come along and says, well, only the originals were inspired. Do you know they didn't have preservatives and paper and ink the way that we do in our day? 2,000 years did a whole lot of damage. It would have to the original. There had never been that original. You realize it was written in three different languages. It was written in Hebrew. It was written in Koine Greek. And it was written in Aramaic. Three different languages. In fact, there's even some more different stuff in there that it's amazing that God even saw fit to translate right there in His own Word. Why do we have such a hard time being confident that God provided to us His inspired, preserved Word still today? And I want you to know the smorgasbord that you see of different Bible versions that all started in the English language in the mid to late 1800s is all now nothing but a devilish ploy to shake our confidence on possessing the very thing that is to be our sole authority. This is so vitally important. Look, if you don't believe that what you have and hold in your hand is the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God, go find it. You better go find it. Because you got nothing to stand on. If you believe uh, that your Bible is full of error, that your Bible it was just written by man, that your Bible, oh well, originally it had God in it, but now it doesn't have God in it anymore. you got nothing to stand on. It's vitally important that the Word of God is a foundational truth in your life. 
We better find out what God said. We better hang on to it. Jeremiah in Jeremiah fifteen sixteen said, Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. Now, we don't have time this evening, and we'll study it more at length in coming weeks. But God wrought a good work in the inspiration of Scripture and its preservation for English-speaking people right here in this King James Bible. And, it, you know, and, and here's the funny thing. It doesn't matter uh, to me if you agree. Well, I would hope you'd agree with me. But it doesn't matter to me if you agree with me or not. I know that this is the true Word of God. I've studied and I've studied and I've looked and I can see the two different streams that all the, that the Bibles come from. And I'm telling you, the translations that you see in this day that aren't this book, they all come from polluted streams. Let me, let me, let me just bring that right home for you. I'm gonna give everybody a straw. We're gonna rent a bus. And we're going to go to the river that runs through East Palestine. And you're going to take that straw and you're going to drink out of that river. Because water's water. Right? You're absolutely right it's not. That means you better buy the truth and sell it not. You better know what you believe. You better know why you believe it. And I promise you the devil will attack you every chance he gets. I struggled uh, through times in my life where I wrestled with this issue. And as I prayed about it and as I studied into it, the more I studied, the more I found just what a wonder this book right here is. What a treasure that it is. Well, preacher, I can understand the other one better. Wrong. Wrong. Because this book, the understanding for this book comes from the Holy Spirit of God. If you can't understand this book, hey, guess what? Get with God. He'll teach you what it says. He'll tell you what it says. He'll lead you in the right way. Hey, you better have God's Word and stand on it. Not not literally. I mean, don't put it down and stand on it. Brother Larry wouldn't like that very much. It was over at Brother Larry's... uh, while back and we're sitting there together and I was we were working on something and I just you know I had my phone in my hand and I just reached over and sat it down. He goes, Hey, 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 hey I had put my phone on top of his Bible. He says, I don't put things on my Bible. I said, Well I do. I put things on your Bible all day long. No. Kid. No, I I know. I know that brother. But it, it fit right there. So, so we're, we're going to study. We'll, we'll take some time in coming weeks. I'm going to give you some things uh, that hopefully will help you and build your confidence to have more confidence in this book uh, that we have. What a thrill that it is to have it. I, I don't need anything else. I, I, I don't. I, I'm, I'm perf- People say, ooh, are you King James only? I said, nope. I'm King James satisfied. That's exactly what I am. I don't need to look anywhere else to any other source. I've got what I need. It's never steered me wrong. You know, I got saved out of that book. I sat for decades under preaching out of that book, some good and some bad. That was just my own. Um, The great revivals of the world were carried out 
through this book. Continents were reached for God through this book. And here's the silly argument you hear. Well, what Bible did Paul use? The King James? Yeah. That's stupid. You know, all because, all because you want to say, well, I'm smarter than you, so I use a different Bible. Well, you know what? I'll just go ahead and say it. I'm just a downright, plain out, stupid fool, and I need to have what God wants me to have and what God wants me to understand so that I can live my life by that. I'm not intellectual enough to go after your heady book over here. You know, the one, the only way they get a copyright on a new version is to change a minimum amount of words... In that book. You start to go and see what words get changed. And you know it's interesting. In all these different versions, there's always, there's always the same things are removed. Things removed that uh, declare the deity of Christ. Where would we be without the Son of God? And you're going to take that out of my Bible? You're going to take the blood out of my Bible? Because, it'll be, oh, we're going, to, we're going to rename sin to, you know, to different things. I don't care what you call it. It's still sin in the eyes of God. So you better get the book. You better live by the book. Revelation, inspiration. I can stay on number two there for a long time. Number three, authority. Authority. When we come to this matter of biblical authority then i want i want you to hear me real good tonight that means that what i say about the bible goes somebody better say no pretty quick no it means that that bible is the authority Plain and simple. Not what I think about it, not what you think about it, not what our opinions are, not what somebody else said, but the bible Now, this Bible is the only source through which mankind finds salvation. See, most other religions have some other book or set of teachings that add to salvation. But true Baptists maintain that Scripture alone is sufficient to save. Romans chapter 1 again in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 through 17. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we know that verse, right? Listen to 14. You know it too. But often we don't put them together. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on Him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You better make sure you're listening to the right book. See, after salvation, we still need the Word of God. It's the only infallible rule of faith and practice. Psalm 119 and verse 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Go back to our text again, 2 Timothy 3. All scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And that gives us four things. It's profitable for doctrine. That's what's right. It's profitable for reproof. 
That's what's wrong. It's profitable for correction. That's how to get what's wrong right. And it's profitable for instruction in righteousness. That's how to stay right. What else do you need? I need to know in my life what's wrong. The Bible will tell me. I need to know for my life what's right. The Bible will tell me. I need to know how to get what's wrong in my life right. How do I know? The Bible will tell me. And I need to know how to stay right. The Bible will tell me. Therefore, it's my authority, my sole authority for faith and practice because this Bible is sufficient for all that pertains to life and godliness. Verse 17 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, that the man of God may be perfect, that's complete, nothing missing, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, our attempts, any attempt, to make rules or standards of behavior that are not directly rooted in the Bible are not only illegitimate, but impotent and injurious. Now, I want you to think with me for a moment. I'm going to just give you a couple of examples here, not of things that are wrong, but things you'll see. Think about some practices now that we have, that we hold, that aren't specifically mentioned in Scripture but they are rooted in the truth of Scripture. Here's some practices. I'm going to give you a list. Sunday school, children's ministries, vacation Bible school, youth rally. You you show me in the Word of God where they had youth rally. Show show me in the Word of God where they had vacation Bible school. Uh, Show me... You know, where, where Brother Wayne would sit and let all them kids throw water balloons at him. I don't ever see, you know, Jesus didn't do that. Junior church, I, I don't see it. Sunday school, I, I don't see that. You say, well, then why do we do it? Jude chapter 1, there's only one chapter, and verse 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. That, that's the first verse. Let me give you another one. You look in Titus chapter 2, verses 2 through 6. This is what the Bible says. That the aged men, that that means old, that that the aged men and the aged women, it's, it's in the Bible, that the aged men and the aged women likewise may teach the young women and young men likewise. Why, why do we do those things that we do? We do it to teach those young people about God, about grace, about salvation, about their need for a Savior, and to help build them up in their faith. That's why we do those things. Well, how about this one? Multiple church services each week. Now, I, woo, I can't tell you the times that I've talked to people about, well, I only need to go to church on Sunday morning. Well, go that, do that. I'll tell you what, why don't you just, uh, you know, only, only eat like one little tiny small meal every day, too, physically. You know, it's like, how many times you, well, I, I, I'm not picking on Brother Gary tonight, I promise. Um, I gotta have three breakfasts and I gotta have three lunches. I gotta have at least two dinners and snacks in between and, and before and after. What? It's in the Bible. 
the liberal soul shall be made fat. It's in the Bible. <laughs> I, I read something that uh, a preacher friend of mine posted on social media and then I shared it. Uh, I do believe it was last night. And this is what it said. Hungering for the Word of God is not enough. You must be starving for the Word of God. Here's why. When the prodigal son was in the hog pen and he was hungry, he went after the husks. It was only when he was starving that he went back to the father's house. And I was like, wow, what a, what a profound, profound thought that that is. And when we come to this idea of multiple church services, I've had people ask me, well, preacher, Sunday night services aren't in, night services aren't in the Bible. And then I ask them this, <clears throat> what time was it when Jesus appeared in the upper room to the disciples after His resurrection? Nighttime. I rest my case. You know, you only need one example there. But, but this idea that, well, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I, I just really, you know, I don't have time for that and I'll just go, you know, once. I, I don't have to go to all of them. I, you know, and I don't have to go to many of them or most of them. I, I just, I, I can get by with just one. Well, the Bible says in Hebrews 10 verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Now, I understand tonight, it's Sunday night, and and I understand that. And if you're looking at your watch, I preached short this morning to give me some more time tonight. I'm almost done. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Do you know it's getting increasingly more and more difficult to find churches that have service on Sunday night? Well, I don't think that we ought to forsake the assembly. I'll tell you right now, I like being around you. None of you said amen, so you don't like being around me. Okay, yeah, too late. My feelings are hurt. (laughs) Kidding. I enjoy the time that we get to spend together. I, I certainly do. I enjoy uh, not only the fellowship that we have with each other, but the the Word of God that we get uh, now to take in, the praise that we get to offer up, all of the things that we get to do together. And we get to come and shoulder one another's burdens and encourage each other and care for each other. And we get to assemble together. You know what the devil wants? He wants us all to be isolated. Why? Because then we're easier to pick off one by one by one. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Jesus is coming soon. Have you been watching the news? Whoa, financial collapse, World War III, uh, the newest pandemic, 100% kill rate. 
uh, you know, and all of these things, just, just things everywhere in the world that just, you know, uh, Amazon palm scanners now in stores, uh, uh, in, in, in different areas around here. I'm telling you, everything's just tuning right up, uh, you know, just as God said it was. Jesus is coming soon. Well, as we see the day approaching, we ought to, you know what, assemble ourselves together so much the more. Other things that we do. I, I won't give you, you know, all of the things that we do, but you say, well, why do we do the things that we do? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Our goal as a church family is not primarily to be social, but to build scripturally. However, when we are scriptural, we will be social. You think about that for a while. You can think about it later. So let our worship, our walk, our work, and our witness be rooted and grounded in the truth. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Colossians 2, <clears throat> verses 6 through 8. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Boy, there's a lot of that in this day. You go to so-called churches today, they don't even open the Bible. They don't give you the Scripture, but they give you some sort of psychological gobbledygook that to try to make you feel better. I'm not concerned in making you feel better. I want us to grow closer to the Lord. And He'll take care of the you feeling better part. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men. Interesting. After the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. That thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. You know, this Bible's given to us one of the reasons so we know how to act when we come to church. We know what to do. We know why we do it. We participate. And we can go on and on tonight about the matter of biblical authority, but looking at the revelation, the inspiration and authority of the Word of God should help us not only to better trust God's Word, but to live by God's Word. We are biblically distinct and we're distinctly Baptist because we believe that the Bible is our sole authority for faith and practice. Whatever the Bible affirms, we accept as truth. It was inspired by God. It's infallible in its form and it's inerrant still in our day. Let's pray this evening.